HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing. From cake Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with George Weld of the preeminent egg restaurant in Brooklyn. Um, looking back at my archives, I was lucky enough to photograph an egg many, many years ago for Edible Brooklyn, spending a day in the life of, but I think I extended that to a week, maybe a month. I mean, <laughs> I, I found myself to be an impermanent but permanent fixture in there for a little bit because I was so... Uh, intrigued by not only the food you were making, but you as a person, um, and what you kind of did for Williamsburg. Uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a draw, there's a slowness in the mornings to, uh, yeah. that strip of Bedford Ave and you got people to wake up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we gathered some people in who were, uh, otherwise have been sort of drifting around, not sure what to do with themselves in the mornings and we weren't sure when we started whether there anyone really was going to be up. It was just sort of a, I mean, it was really a shot in the dark because there's no, most people who I talked to about it said, nobody in Williamsburg wakes up before noon. And I said, yeah, you're probably right, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to cook breakfast, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. You were at a transitionary uh, period of your life, too, having come from mm -hmm. you know, a more corporate job. Um, and this was really your first foray into restaurant work did you feel kind of as not aimless but lost as maybe the the before noon crowd <laughs> well I, I actually felt i mean i'd worked in restaurants in high school and in college and i it's true i'd spent all the time i had after that 
working working to try to get away from it in a sense. I wasn't consciously trying to get away from it, but I just figured, you know, I'm I'm off to college, I'm off to grad school, I'm going to end up doing something very cushy in a um, in an office lined with books somewhere someday, and. I kept coming back to cooking personally for myself and, you know, started... Th- I worked for a little while as a temp. I worked for a um, cookbook mail-order company in, outside of Boston when I was in grad school. And just being surrounded by new cookbooks all the time, I was just like, oh, I, I, I really love this. This is really exciting to me. And even though I'm in grad school for creative writing, like, what excites me about... I, I, I'm just as excited to come to this job and look through cookbooks as I am to go to school and, and do the thing that I'm you know, I supposedly love to do, but it's too hard. You know, I don't want to do it. The hours are crazy. I don't want to live that way. It's too intense and I'm not cut out for it. And I really think I just kept trying to push myself away from it and push myself away from it. And I tried a couple other careers. I tried to be an academic. I worked for a dot com for a little while. I, I did freelance work, writing and um, design for a while. And all of it felt unsatisfying to me. And so when I, when, when egg started, it felt a little bit like it, an inevitability like you know you you ran and ran and ran and ran and now you're back to where you started and as soon as it as soon as I went in and it's just something about like being in the pressure of a line and being you know next to the heat of a stove and and making food and trying to get get it right every time felt felt fulfilling in a way that nothing I had done professionally had ever felt before and it felt a lot a lot more fulfilling than the previous restaurant jobs I'd had were had felt because you know I was cooking food that I believed in where in the past I was working at like Pizza Hut Express or <laughs> you know a frozen shrimp place but yeah I you mentioned running and running and running and kind of this rote monotony of a uh, you know doing a job it feels a lot like most southern literature um, <laughs> this you know passive escapism um <laughs> Having a PhD in literature, what kind of books did you read? Were they fiction? Were they nonfiction? Well, um, to, to be clear, I'm a PhD dropout, so I, I'm ABD. I didn't finish my dissertation. Um, it was part of my my endless flight. Um, but I was, I mean, I I was studying American poetry, and and the weirder the you know the more difficult the better for me. I um, I was really interested in that. I was really interested in critical theory. So the books I'd been reading were extremely abstract. And I think in a way, um, cooking, I mean, I remember reading, uh, a book of Paul Auster's where he talks about, I think it's called the art of hunger. He talks about being a translator in, in France for a while and living there with his wife and how poor they were and how one night, um, you know, they were, they were so poor. All they had in the house was some flour and onions and maybe an old tin of anchovies and some, some olives that, were stuck in the back of the fridge. So he went down and made a dish that I can't remember the name of, and I couldn't pronounce even if I could. But, you know, just caramelized onions on a on a pastry tart with some anchovies and olives. And just, it was like such an unbelievably delicious and uh, transformative meal for him. Because it's like, you know, I had nothing. I had just like scraps in my pantry, and I made this beautiful, delicious thing. I went straight from reading that book in my um, little study in my house down to the kitchen and made that. Like that for me was like a moment of like, you know, I can read all this incredibly abstract stuff and it's interesting to me intellectually, but um, it keeps pushing me back to the kitchen because I love working with my hands. I love being, you know, with the sensual pleasures and sensual like pains as well. You know, like there's something to being physical that cooking gives you that even the most like thrilling intellectual ventures don't. You know, it's kind of great 
when you transitioned uh, Sparky's All-American, is that uh, what it was called? I think it was called. Um, you know, the tactility was kind of tested out. It was, uh, you know, just mornings. You were uh-huh. kind of renting the space yeah. from a friend. And uh, did you see the phenomenon that egg was happen? You know, did, did you expect it to happen as quickly as it did? No way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, of course, I hoped it would happen. And I, um, I, I wanted it to happen. But I, you know, my fallback plan, which I think I, you know, 90, if you, you know, 90% of my rational mind thought was where I would end up is I would do it for a year or two. I would spend, you know, a certain amount of money that would be considerably less than I would have spent on culinary school. And I would gain the experience of working in a kitchen. I would gain some business experience. And so maybe I'd get to go work in somebody else's real restaurant after I'd, you know, experimented with running my own (laughs) Um, I didn't, you know, I, I definitely didn't think it was going to be, I didn't think I'd be sitting here 10 years later (laughs) having this conversation with you. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy that I am. I mean, I'm glad you did not have to kind of befall on your fallback plan and, you know, you forged ahead and you know, it wasn't easy, you know, uh, no restaurant, no venture, nothing is easy, but it's almost about that challenge it's mm-hmm. uh, about trying to figure out what's best for you and best for that community that's so I- engaging and uh egg has been a stalwart for a community and it's simply based around breakfast yeah why why did you think that was the important meal to kind of build your business around yeah well i mean i've al- i've always been to um my first my mother's and then my wife's chagrin a morning person um i wake up and i'm I wake up early and I'm ready to go. I'm as I'm as I'm as good as I'm going to get um, first thing in the morning. So I always loved breakfast. I loved breakfast at night too, um, but um, I especially love mornings and I love you know having a minute to sit down and and enjoy something good to eat. Then, um, and the, you know nobody was doing it. In New York especially, I think the you could get breakfasty food on the weekends at brunch, but if you wanted to have even a they just there was there weren't that many places that did it in the city um so it just felt like a wide open field in a way and it was one of those things where you're like is everybody not doing this because nobody wants it <laughs> or is everybody not doing this because the excitement is in dinner you know the big thrills are you know the glamour and the um glory are all about making incredible dinner places um so it was it was sort of a test. It was also an opportunity. I mean, uh, the arrangement that I have with Sparky's allowed me to be open in the morning. So it was a great fit, um, but it was also sort of inevitable given the hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I've been guilty of grab-and-go egg sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been guilty of sitting at a diner and wondering where my food is, even though I only <laughs> ordered it two minutes ago. Right. And, you know, at, at a point of where slow food was the, the predominant, um, at least in our kind of demographic of restaurants, um, breakfast was always thought of as fast. Right. Yeah, and that's still something, that's still something that we struggle with. I mean, egg is, um, at the beginning when I was the, doing most of the cooking, egg was un, unusually slow even for a slow food restaurant. Um, but... You know, the things that we do do take time. And, you know, there have been times when, when um, you know, if somebody orders over easies, 
we'll sit there and, and go through several sets to try to get them right um, because they'll break or they'll overcook them. You know, sometimes eggs don't cook at the same rate. So, you know, the one, the egg on the left will, will go to medium while the egg on the le- right is still undercooked. So we'll ditch them and, and try again. Um, and for me, it was sort of a way of making the whole process feel important and feel real and to give it the kind of um, to treat it with the kind of seriousness that I felt like it deserved uh, but it drove people nuts <laughs> they're like I want to eat now I want to go like this is crazy I just wanted toast and, a pe- and some eggs oh, why has it taken me 15 minutes to get it or 20 minutes to get it um, but I think people have you know I think people have figured it out a little bit we've always kind of pushed away not pushed aside but like we haven't focused on takeout food um, because we know it takes a while and we and really the whole point of it is to sit down and, and chill out I also eat stuff quickly to you know I'll grab stuff at a deli sometimes and when I'm getting on the train everybody has to do it it's part of life but if you have the time if you have 40 minutes to sit down you know I feel like go ahead and sit down and be there and enjoy it and chill out a little bit. Well, I mean, there's also a willingness to wait for the quality of food that you yeah. serve. Um, they're eggs. Inevitably, they, they are eggs, but the patience you took with those, the trial and error, uh, and I only wish it was someone like Tom Wolf that said you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> um, but again, you, you took that time to be able to develop the exact kind of experience you wanted. And yeah. and that's why people are willing to line up for hours just to have eggs Rothko, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> ham, and, you know, country ham biscuits. Right. And, um, it's not just craveable, but it, it, it's comforting in its patience. Yeah. I think it, I think um, it's been, it's, it's especially the case now that we, you know, we moved last, last year from a, from a really from the original space to that was really small to a much bigger space that I think makes it easier for people to sit and relax and you know come in at seven thirty and stay till nine thirty and so we see a lot more of that and one of the things that's exciting about it to me as somebody who lives here and somebody who has a restaurant is just to see people you know one you, you get to see people wake up two you get to see people you know interact in a very relaxed way with with their friends um so sometimes they're dr- dreaming up ideas for, you know, a business or trying to figure out some part of a, a script they're working on or, you know, figuring out how they're going to, you know, sometimes they've just come from an all night recording session and they're sort of debriefing about that or just trying to decompress from that. It's a, it's a great time of day to see people be, you know, and be alive. And I think it's one of the, to me, one of the things that I, I don't think I appreciated as much at the beginning, but now that I've, seen it over and over again and i i can sort of step back like it feels like an amazing gift to me to be able to be the, be there in that in people's lives at that time of day and uh give them a little space to to take it slow and take it easy and and think things up as creepy as it sounds i i don't think i'd mind waking up with you next to me <laughs> i mean that may sound that did sound i'm gonna listen to that again and regret saying that but uh, I, I'm willing to wake up for egg. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk the history of hash and odes to country ham. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. And welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here again today with George Weld of Egg Restaurant in Brooklyn. The history of hash, odes to country ham. This this book does have, you know, that that American poetry that you were hoping for, <laughs> yes. be it in head notes or intros yeah. to. But why do you wax poetic about these things? What what do they actually mean to you? Well, I. I think um, they t- they tap into something really deep, I, um, and I don't think I can explain it exactly, like or I, or I can't articulate it that that well. I, I you know, when I smell a country ham, um, when I smell one of Nancy Newsom Mahaffey's hams, it uh, it takes it takes me in my memory to a place that like I can't even be sure that I've ever been um like uh but but I think it just it they feel so connected to something and you know I my um my grandmother had a had a farm in Virginia where they they you know uh, cured and smoked country hams um and I've smelled that. I've never tried one of. I never got to try one of their hams, but I smelled the inside of that smokehouse, and I have a sense of that kind of, like a building that's been smoked over and over and over again. And um, it's almost like a. I mean, it smells. Like, I, I, it just feels corny to say this, but it feels like it's, it. It taps into some like seam of history, that, you know, I am at the at the end of. You know, and not not the terminal end of, but I'm. It comes through me onto you know whoever's next, but um, those flavors and and smells that have come down from generation to generation, like people have been working on those things for so long, I, it really feels like they're um, you know you're regretting the saying that you wished you woke up next to me <laughs> in the morning. But this is like, it feels like something that I, like I, I wish I could articulate better. But it just feels like um, all, it, it just connects with such a powerful thread of history um and and it's a visceral history like it feels like i can taste food that my grandfather ate or that my great-grandfather ate um it hasn't changed that much and i don't know when the restaurant opened i used to get um like unbearably homesick we'd be sitting there like cooking ham and bacon and grits and eggs and Amy Lou Harris would be playing on the stereo, and I would just be like on the verge of on the verge of tears. It's like I can't take it. It's too, like I get so. I mean, I'm a I'm a terrible sap to begin with, but I mean, it was just. It's a very. Um, it just feels like a home, I, I guess. Like, but like my my home and my mother's home, my grandmother's home. It's just like a like a, a collapsed version of history, all in this one little moment. You know, that sentiment is shared, <laughs> you know, by, by having been there many a times, but I'm sure by the greater community that you support and, you know, loves egg in the same way that you uh, love this abstract concept of, you know, yeah. what that food is to you. 
And there's a legacy there. You know, yeah. it's it's not to say that you don't know who Edna Lewis is. Right. And that you don't sour milk with a little bit of cider vinegar to make your biscuits. Uh-huh. You know, there are those threads. And what what is the importance of having that heritage and um, being able to carry that on in kind of a modern setting? Well... It's complicated. I mean, for me, it, it's there's a very personal element to it. And one, you know, one of the uh, sort of guiding principles I held, held for myself when I started Egg was I want to make food that my grandmother would recognize and acknowledge as food. So nothing too weird and nothing too fancy. Just you know, if my grandmother came in here today, would she say this looks familiar to me? And it's not because I've you know worshipped my grandmother like a like an Italian chef, but I um I loved her and I I loved what. I had inherited from her sort of culturally um, or maybe more spiritually than culturally. Um, so for me, it's important in that way. I think in a broader sense, it's complicated because, um, you know, the legacy of this food is very complicated. You know, Southern food is not, um, you know, it's not simple. We don't, like a lot of the food that we that we cook and eat um, has a has a tortured history or has a complicated history that you know is morally um, complex and I think one of the one of the things that food can do is help us think about those things in a way that's not too um, upsetting or uh, it, it, and it reminds us that that history exists. I remember having a having an exchange once with a customer who had written me to complain about the way that we described our grits as antebellum style and she said you know. I really find that term antebellum offensive. It, um, you know, it glorifies a time in our country's history that shouldn't be glorified. And my response was, you know, I get it, and I'm happy to take that word off the menu because I don't want to glorify that time. But I also don't want to erase that history and pretend that, you know, this is just the equivalent of polenta. You know, it, this has that what's behind this food matters, and you know. I'm not going to figure it out on my own, but I, I would love to be part of... I think it's important that we have it and that we work on it and that we think through it. Um, I think that's something that's going on. But, you know, like Edna Lewis's home was, you know, not that far from my grandmother's farm, but the town that she lives in is no, not on the map anymore. Um, the, her, her living situation down the road from our, our place was very different from my grandmother's. I don't think that's, you know, we talk about how awesome it was to have Edna Lewis here as a communist organizer and an amazing chef and that she left these amazing books and had an incredible collaborative relationship with Scott Peacock. And those things are all great. But there's a, what's behind all this is um, intense and needs to be reckoned with. And um, so I think, I think the food means that too. It means pay attention. What do we... Where do we come from? What are we doing? It's a lot to contemplate over breakfast. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I, and I've always, you know, the way I felt with everything with breakfast is, you know, and we, people want to eat, and that's great. Let them eat. Let them be by themselves. Let them be who they are. And let's not try to impose anything on them, whether it's, you know, the provenance of our ingredients or, um, you know, the, the ethics of our labor practices. It's just have a good meal, and we hope the food speaks for itself. But I would love it if, you know, because people got excited about the food, they investigated a little bit further or, you know, came back and, you know, got to have more of a complicated conversation about it. Well, part of what your book is about isn't just waking up for breakfast, but 
like you said, of that provenance, of those ethics and ideologies behind it, uh, no. you wouldn't have started Goatfell Farms if you didn't believe so much about, you know, that 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 reach, that that arm and leg of of your company, those practices. Yeah. Um, when did you start that farm, and why did you invest in that kind of, you know, business venture? Yeah. Well. Um we started that I think in 2008 or 2009 and it was really just um, I mean it felt like um, just an extension of cooking in a sense you know how where do our you know where do our ingredients come from what when does the preparation process start it starts at seed at at least it may start before the seed it starts in the soil Um, so part of it was that like where you know if we want to make these ingredients that we're treating so simply really sing then it would help to have them come from some place where we can control every element of it but it was also a lot of curiosity um it was all kind of a you know we one of the things that brought me into food has always made me love food or um is being outdoors and understanding the connection between having outdoor spaces and having both the woods and I mean, it's, you know, this from from Michigan, I imagine, like just the, you know, the beauty of being outdoors connects immediately to food because you're, you're this is where the stuff that you eat comes from. And, you, you know, we get to have that food because people have preserved this land and made it and worked it and made it survive and made it support food for such a long time. Um, so being outdoors and 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 being part of turning land into farms and and maintaining it that way it's felt really important to me so uh it's just it, it, it's really been an kind of an intense educational experience it, to call it a business venture is uh kind of a stretch i mean it's been a business um lesson for sure um but a lot of that lesson has been what i wanted which was how hard is it to do this work how you know what are the people who who are able to provide us with a consistent supply of really good vegetables what do they go through to make that happen um, I have a much better sense of that now, and everyone who works at the restaurant has a much better sense of that now than we ever would have done if we had just been, you know, planting our flower box in the front window. Yeah, well, I mean, because you also have to be there now. I, I don't mean you personally as a manager, but mm-hmm. uh, Egg has to be there for Brooklyn and beyond. I mean, <laughs> you, you've been such a permanent fixture for over a decade that I, I'm not sure we know what to do without you. <laughs> so there, there's a great, you know... Uh, amount of responsibility uh, on your show. Not to give you more, because I already know how much you do, but um, you are, uh, you know, our local Edna Lewis in a sense, oh. because you, you carry those um, strings. You carry, you know, those stories. And uh, even though you, you can order an egg, you know, poached and scrambled and pickled and deviled and, you know, any iteration that there is on your son, um, we can do that because you took the time to um, listen and contemplate and, you know, reassemble and show us again the importance of, you know, waking up. Waking up. Well, thanks. I, I hope so. I, I would love to be, I mean, I would love to, this community has been amazing to me. Um, I've, you know, I've, the restaurant has worked here. I've raised kids here. I've, you know, made a life here for over a decade and I love it and as it changes I, I would love to be like I would love to be thought of as as a big part of the community I feel that way about some families that we interact with and it's been amazing to watch you know I've seen people 
start dating and then get married and have kids and just be, go through that whole process and they keep coming back and they keep coming back and to be a part of as I said earlier to be part of somebody's life in that process is a, is a real gift and I feel really lucky to have been able to do it I took this picture uh, of Eggs Rothko yep, which, the iconic let's, photo <laughs> let's explain what Eggs Rothko is well Eggs Rothko um, is a piece of Amy's brioche which is this incredibly rich bread that we slice in about an inch thick cut out the middle of, put an egg in, um, cook it, and we cook it on the flat top so the egg stays runny. We cover the whole thing with uh, sharp cheddar cheese and stick it in the broiler, and that's it. We serve it with a side of boiled tomatoes and some, some meat or vegetables, if you like. And it's very simple. It's, you know, got some... It's incredibly rich. It has a little bit of acidity from the sides, but... Um, it has grabbed people's palates and their imaginations, and they keep eating it over and over again. Um, I mean, I know the art reference, um, but yeah. what was what was you know the initial reason for putting that? What was your you know affectionate term for this dish prior to? Like, I think I I thought of it as like a toad in a hole. Um, and a friend of mine who had helped me sort of plan the menu and helped me sort of think through the whole rest. One of the she was one of the owners of Sparky's is actually the I think she's a great great niece of Mark Rothko. And I don't remember exactly what the story was, but um, she, uh, it, as I remember it, it was that she, he loved this dish, or he loved some version. It was his like go-to breakfast, and so that's that's where the name came from. I thought it also looked vaguely like a Rothko when it broke, and the yolk was spread across the bottom. And I love his painting, so it all felt good. But it's sort of an anomaly on the menu because nothing else is named. Everything else is just described as it is. You know, yeah. two eggs or. Well, it's funny hearing people actually reference it at. Egg Rothko and not Toad in the Hole, Farmer's Basket, right. um, whatever else it is. But there's this association. There's this, you know, cerebral thing that happens because most people have had that dish at right. one point in their life. Um, <laughs> right. And it's called so many things. And yep. it, it's, you don't make it for yourself. Right. So it's, you know, your your parents or your grandparents. Like, yeah. it's always it's always this elder that, that presents this to you. And it's this gift. And the egg's coddled and... Well, I don't mean coddled eggs, but right, right, no, right. It, it's held in this way that is just uh, the same way. I think you have a relationship with the person that cooked it for mm-hmm. you, um, and it wasn't hard to photograph that um, and have that kind of be bigger than just the image itself, because yeah. uh, that's kind of what that represents. It was, yeah, it was a great, it was a great photograph. We pay a little homage to it in the book, actually. So, excellent. <laughs> well, uh, I constantly pay homage to what you did here. Oh, thanks. Um, and everyone should buy buying this book breakfast recipes to wake up for george thank you so much for being here and thank you, i look Michael. forward to seeing you for years on end oh thanks excellent you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org miros here michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio network.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.